Welcome to a patient safety podcast from Crico. Crico is the patient safety and medical malpractice company owned by and serving the Harvard medical community since 1976. A 33-year-old male patient presented to the ER with neck pain after a car accident. He was evaluated by a resident and a nurse, an IV was placed, and he was given Vistaril as well as Demerol. However, Vistaril is usually given intramuscularly, and it was labeled IM only. The patient immediately complained of pain, and the IV was removed. A CT of the neck for his initial complaint was negative for acute process, but his hand appeared edematous and cyanotic, and there was concern for tissue ischemia and compartment syndrome. A hand surgeon was not available overnight, so the patient was observed in the ER. By morning, his pain had improved, and he was discharged approximately eight hours after his arrival. Upon discharge, the nurse documented that the patient's fingers remained somewhat dusky. The patient followed up with his private orthopedist a few hours later and was told to return to the hospital because of concern for a vascular injury. Upon arrival, he was started on a heparin drip and taken emergently to the OR for a fasciotomy, given the concern for compartment syndrome. Angiograms showed decreased blood flow to the digital arteries. No arterial injury was visualized. The hand required a return trip to the OR twice more for irrigation and debridement as well as split-thickness skin grafting. His entire course was marked by significant pain, which required pain service consultation. A month later, his left index finger was amputated at the pip joint, and he later had full amputation of the finger as well as repair of the skin graft. The patient sued the attending physician, the resident, the nurse, and the hospital, alleging improper administration of a medication which led to pain and suffering ultimately resulting in amputation of the left index finger. The case was settled in the high range. To discuss the risk management and patient safety aspects of this case, we're joined now by Dr. Kerry Tibbles. Dr. Tibbles is an emergency physician and director of clinical innovations at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. Kerry, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tom. The case involved a wrong root drug error. Uh, What do we know about how these mistakes occur and how to prevent them? Well, these are actually relatively common in large emergency departments where there may be physicians in training and or nurses that are new to their job and maybe are unfamiliar with the medications they're giving. In an emergency department, we are giving such a wide range of medications and a given provider may not have used that medication before. So in this case, the resident ordering the drug probably didn't realize that Vistral can't be given IV. And I think it was compounded when the nurse who looked at the order also didn't recognize the mistake. Now, there's a lot of systems we've put in place to try to prevent these kind of errors. First of all, we really stress to resident physicians, if you're not sure, you need to ask. And, you know, an attending physician is there. They should ask, you know what, I'm not sure what I'm doing with this medication. Similarly, a nurse, if she's unsure about an order or wonders if the doctor has written it wrong, should check with either some supervision or another more experienced nurse there, or should never take anything at face value and should feel free to question the doctor and say, is this what you meant to write? And I think that ability to question and an ED that has a culture where it's okay to question an order and expected that you'd question an order is very important. 
When you talk about the culture and uh, the ability for junior people to question senior people or for nurses to, to double-check with doctors, does that involve a certain amount of training? I know that we've at CRICO uh, helped train emergency departments in team training, and you've been a part of that. Absolutely. When you look at communication in the emergency department, the ability of the providers to communicate around what's happening with the patient is absolutely essential. And there are a lot of barriers to it once you look at it closely. The fact is the, phys the physician is very busy in what they're doing and the nurse is doing parallel but potentially different work at the time with what they're doing. And it might just be a time and space issue that people don't get on the same page and the communication doesn't happen. But there's also hierarchical issues where maybe a newer provider or resident or a nurse might not feel comfortable questioning something a senior physician is doing. But that ability to speak up when you see something not going well or to question something you don't understand is absolutely essential. And the word you said about training I think is key. While it might not come natural to many people, you can help people develop the skills, learn the correct um, scripts to use, and give them the tools to advocate in situations for the patients that they need to, and to feel comfortable speaking up. And often a team training class is one of the best ways to do that, is you can bring a doctor and a nurse together in the room, talk about why it's hard to speak up, talk about why it's important, and give people tools and strategies to do it. Secondly, I think there's there's an IT fix, and so much of how we order drugs in the first place has to have redundancy and safety built into it. So in this particular case, if this was computer order entry, there could have been a flag there that says this medication is not normally given IV. And, you know, different warnings that the physician would see or that the nurse would see or the nurse should see from the Pixis when they pull it out of the Omnicell, this medication is not to be given IV. And I think all of those reminders are very important um, as we're trying to make sure we have medication safety for patients. Well, and then there's alarm fatigue, and these things can be overwritten. Yes, and I think it's a great point. With our electronic systems, we want to build in warnings and we want to build in stops, but you can't overdo it to the point where the provider ignores everything that they see. You have to be very strategic and very thoughtful about how you put information in front of physicians, both in how they make their clinical decisions and how they order medications and order tests. So I think that's a big area that we're looking at in the future is how do we best use technology to put the right information in front of doctors and nurses. Now, could a better discharge process also have helped in this case? What would you consider some of the best practices in this area? Now, this case is really important because when the patient is leaving, the nurses note notice that their fingers are still somewhat dusky and blue, suggesting vascular compromise. Similar to what I just said, often the physicians and nurses, just given the nature of their work, might not be on the same page about the patient. There really helps at discharge or anytime something like this has happened, an automatic standard communication that the nurse brings their findings to the physician, particularly something that they notice that is abnormal. For some of us to help standardize this, we've put in what's called a discharge timeout. Before the patient leaves the ED, you come together, review any pertinent information that's happening. Now, it's really important that this information be concise and that it be relevant and that this be very efficient. 
because we don't have time and anything or the luxury to spend a, to spend excessive time on each patient. But a very brief timeout right at the point the patient's leaving. This often includes another set of vital signs, and any abnormal vital sign needs to be reconciled. It would also include something like this, where the patient has a continuation of their abnormal physical exam, and the doctor can be aware of it before they leave them, leave the emergency department. And those, I think, a discharge timeout and reconciliation of abnormal vital signs are among the best practices in um, how to safely discharge an ED patient. The other thing that's really critical about this patient is they stayed overnight and crossed over a shift. One of the key places that information is dropped is as providers transition from shift to shift and sometimes key pieces of information can be lost. In this particular case, it appears that they were interested in having a hand consult for this patient, yet once they changed over shift, there was not a hand consult that was actually placed. There was a note that the hand surgeon wasn't available. When we think about EDs and consults, when you look at risk management emergency medicine, one of the top five contributing factors is failure to appropriately get a consult. When we think about an appropriate consult, that consult consultant needs to be available and the consult needs to be done in a timely manner. In this particular case, a hand surgeon wasn't available up front. This patient would have benefited from having a hand consult early in their course to help guide the therapy. This patient, upon discharge, essentially left without a hand consult. And again, I think given that they still had an abnormal physical exam suggesting vascular compromise, involving the hand surgeon made a lot of sense. It would have likely helped the patient. Thank you. Dr. Carrie Tibbles, Emergency Physician and Director of Clinical Innovations at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. I'm Tom Ajello. This has been a patient safety podcast from Crico. More information about Crico and efforts at Harvard to deliver the safest healthcare in the world is available on our website at www.rmf.harvard.edu.